Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You are with the Double L team, Lyle and... Lawson. Lawson, guess what I'm thankful for this what morning? What are you thankful for, Lyle? I'm thankful for the statue of Daniel chapter 2. Oh, why's that? Because the feet of the statue of Daniel chapter 2 are made out of iron and clay. That's Miry right. clay, which means sloppy clay. Yeah. Wet clay. Uh-huh. And iron. Uh-huh. And I got to mix, mess with iron and clay yesterday. Why? Because I was making concrete. Oh, that's fun. Yes. You see, we live in the concrete era. Mm-hmm. Wait, we, live, we live in the feet of iron and clay, so we live in the concrete era. There you go. <laughs> I, I am a, uh, a Bible eisegesis this, oh, <laughs> eisegetic, <laughs> genesis this morning. <laughs> that's so funny. Wait, so iron and clay, like, because you, where you're laying down concrete, you got like the iron yes, bar. The, the difference, the difference between my iron and clay is that they do stick together. It, so it's a little bit different. So it, it's a lot different. Maybe a lot. And it's not even clay. Depends how you define clay. Well, I'm defining it as like, you know, there are are literal pieces of earth called clay of which you do not use because it was concrete. Stretch it a little bit. (laughs) Now now, now you're sounding like a theologian. You can't have good eisegesis without (laughs) Without stretching. That's That's right. right. That's right. You've got a bit of a stretch here this morning. (laughs) That's right. Yes. You're like you're like doing the biblical equivalent of putting twenty cent coins down on a on a train track and watching them expand. That that's what you're doing. Well, hey, I met somebody who said that the uh, four-headed leopard symbolised uh, Germany one time because Germany makes leopard tanks. So surely my interpretation <laughs> is better than that. No, I, no, like no. Just, oh, come it's just, on. It's just bad and it's wrong. It was okay. awesome. It's it bad was and it's wrong. I'm calling it out. No, it's, me a it's heresy. It's bad. It's, it's wrong. It's evil. It's terribly awful and wicked. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Let's have some positively different news this morning. Oh, man, I have some really interesting, varied stories from right across the world. Okay, I think I'll take take on this one first. Have you, Lyle, have you recently heard of heard the term mRNA or RNA? Yes. Yeah, we all have, right? We all have. Yeah, because we're... A few months ago, no. But a few now, months ago, now everybody's everyone's talking about it. So, obviously, this phrase and title is very connected to um, COVID-19 and the vaccine and everything that's going on there. But originally mRNA, specifically personalized mRNA um, vaccines were made to treat cancer. They were being developed to treat cancer. And then they found cross application with them in, um, you know, in vaccine and with COVID and everything. And that's what it's turned into now. But originally, like, and what the research is focusing on at the same time, or as well, is coming up with vaccines and medications that can cure cancer. And now, you know, I like, we've, I've just been reading here about a study and, and trials that have been done at the University of Arizona at the moment, um, specifically on one woman. Her name is Molly Cassidy. Um, she's a mother currently studying for the bar exam at the University of Arizona. So pretty esteemed go-getting type woman. Um, no slouch. No slouch there. Yeah. Being, she was then diagnosed with cancer in her neck and head, you know, really 
terrible stuff. It's spreading through. Then she did, um, you know, a few runs of chemo. Uh, and after going through chemo, uh, ten only 10 days later, found like a marble-sized bump on her collarbone that, again, was the cancer starting again. And so it was like, hey, like, you know, what can we do about this? Um, and then she was offered a, um, she was offered to be a part of the clinical trial at the university of Arizona, um, that uses personalized MRNA vaccines to deal with cancer. And 27 days later, after going through nine, having nine doses of the vaccine, um, along with an immunotherapy drug, um, she is completely cancer free. That is phenomenal. Yep. So wow. this is the big this step. This is really interesting. This is the big step is that they've gone, okay, we have all of these one-size-fits-all treatments for all kinds of diseases, cancers being one of them, whether it's chemotherapy or, or any of these different kinds of things. And they're like, if we can do something personalized, like through mRNA for someone's specific body, maybe this will enable us to be able to actually fight this rather than, you know, some people miraculously heal and some people don't because that's the reality of cancer at the moment like people going through chemo and yeah and uh, cancer is something that has touched and affected many people that we probably know i know that my my uncle died uh, at the start of this year from cancer after you know battling it for like 12 years being cancer free then the cancer coming back being cancer free again like this is a, a massive problem because no one has a clear defined solution particularly when it comes to cancer like pancreatic cancer where you've got like a you know 15 percent survival rate stuff like that um it's going to be very interesting to see where this technology goes over the over the coming years i mean this mm. is a brand new form of technology brand new way of thinking about mm. treatments and with anything that's brand new, you're always going to have some really good things. You all, it's just at the same time, it's like, mm. 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 any brand new treatment comes with its risks as well. Yeah, but it'd be interesting to find out what they are. We probably won't know what they are for the next ten years or so. That's right. But the, from the trials, this doesn't. But early uh, results are really cool. Really, really cool. And obviously, you know, it's mRNA is being rolled out in vaccines for. COVID-19 and now, you know, treatments for cancer. It's also broken massive ground in the field of Alzheimer's. They're coming up with solutions for that too from, you know, mRNA-based medication and, and vaccines. So it's it seems like, from what I'm seeing, that this is definitely a cool thing. But as you were saying, like, we don't really know. And maybe, maybe you're a medical professional out there and mRNA is like the worst thing ever and... <laughs> Is terrible. Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. Let us know. Uh, is this is this is this the right track? Well, somebody's saying that you haven't read Beyond Zebra. Oh, I don't know what Beyond Zebra. Is. I've not read Beyond Zebra either. But apparently, I, I, I'm assuming that's about mRNA. No, well, no, we're talking about the A to Z quiz. Oh, sorry, but yeah, the. the um, <laughs> I'm, I'm just reading text messages while ah, I'm nice. Yes. Anyway, keep going there. Keep going. All good. No, but uh, that, that's kind of that's kind of all we have at the moment is that look, they're doing various trials, they're making various strides and breakthroughs. Um, obviously, yeah, one being with COVID nineteen, but in all these other fields, and so I guess we're just going to see where this goes. All right. Oh, another piece of news here. Interesting. I don't know if you could take this as good as or bad news, but El Salvador becomes the first country to make Bitcoin legal tender. Right. They now have Bitcoin ATMs that are state-sponsored, and it is like if you, as a business, should accept Bitcoin. 
Which, it's which like, is, okay, this is really interesting. It is super interesting because Bitcoin is a decentralized currency that a nation... Doesn't that kind of defeat the purpose of Bitcoin if you do that with it? Well, it, you're kind of... This is the thing that I see is like, aren't you just obviously shooting yourself in the foot by adopting a currency that you can't control? Yes. <laughs> right. So this is this is the step though. El, El Salvador they they've uh, decided to move into the most futuristic era of any country because they are the first ones to to actually do. So you've got this. a developing country that's going to lead the world. Yeah, well apparently. Um and they've done it by giving basically every uh El Salvadorian citizen who signs up gets like this new like cash app on their their phone that they've developed, you know, a Bitcoin wallet to hold your bitcoins and whatnot. Um you'll get $30 worth of bitcoin. Uh you know, as you're, you know, you're you're in the system. Now, if uh, somebody gave me $30 worth of bitcoin about 15 years ago, I'd be pretty stoked <laughs> by, by now. $30 worth of Bitcoin now is like 0.001% of like a Bitcoin or something. Uh-huh. But interestingly, like I'm just reading testimonials like from people who have adopted this already, um, who, you know, who like I've, there's this taxi driver. He's saying like about 10% of his customers pay with Bitcoin. Uh, but like he himself is, is and, and a lot of people are just like saying like, but the fluctuations of Bitcoin, because it's not based on, you know, the the movings of a particular country and how their inflation's going. Like, like yeah, for, in September 2020, Bitcoin was worth 10 grand. Uh, in April 2021, it was worth $63,000. And now at the moment, uh, in July, well, as of July this year, it was 30000 And at the moment, uh, in September, it is $51,000. So there, I saw this meme recently that was like when Elon Musk like says something dumb on like a, a a news show and you're like and like you're an employee of him and the Bitcoin that he just gave you like uh, halves in value. Yeah. It's like <laughs> so if you make this the currency, the legal tender of an entire country, I, I, that's yeah, kind of it's a bit scary. Elon Musk might make a. A random statement sometimes. Like write something on Twitter and then like country half of El Salvador can't afford food. Tough stuff. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. All right. Wow. What's going on in current news around in the current world? Current news. Okay. So there's a couple of things I need to talk about. Oh, I also need to mention that if we get this uh, this question answered, if we give the prize out, then we will just simply move to another another. Uh, quiz. Oh, sweet. So we can do yeah. multiple quizzes yes. on the back. Epic, epic. Okay, so a couple of text messages come. I've got to read you this text message. Mm-hmm. I have to read you this text message. Yep. Um, big shout out to El Salvador? my granddaughter this morning. Oh, okay. Yes. So, um, <laughs> Did she send you a text message? Yes, yeah, she sent me a text. No, her, no her, <laughs> my, my daughter sent me a text message and she said, listening to the Brekkie show with Flo, who's six weeks old, mm-hmm. on my lap, Pop starts, that's me, Pop, Pop starts talking and Flo got all excited and started smiling. Oh, that's cute. So there's some positively different news for you this morning. I just <laughs> and then I that. started talking yeah, and, and she cried. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay, so we've got a few more text messages. We'll get back to those in just a moment, but let's go over to China. We did promise we would talk about China this morning. And uh, China, the Chinese Communist Party has just ordered all Christians in China to do something. What do you think the Chinese Communist Party has ordered them to do? Die? Probably no. not. Yeah. I don't know what. Pray. Oh, why? 
Okay, they've ordered the entire Christian uh, population in China to pray. In fact, it's required that they pray, and they have to send evidence back to the Chinese Communist Party that they have prayed and what they have prayed about, because that's how you know the uh, government churches work in China. Okay, they're required <laughs> to offer prayers of thanks for uh, the centenary of victory over the Japanese in the Second World War. Oh, um, now, of course, they are banned from praying in relationship to any kind of Christian martyrs or Christians who've lost their lives, but they are definitely required to pray for all of the communists who lost their lives during this particular time period and all of the Chinese patriots who lost their lives and so forth. That so is, is so intense. It's, it's, it's intense and it's interesting <laughs> and it's just like mind-blowingly strange. Yeah. Um, so for those of you who don't know, of course, uh, China was in the Second World War for a lot longer than any of the rest of the world. Mm. The rest of the world started the Second World War in 1939. Mm. China started in 1937 uh, when the Japanese invaded Manchuria mm. and, of course, ended in 1945, which was, what was it, like half a year after the war in Europe came to an end. Uh, and, of course, that came the end of that war uh, in in, in China came about as a result of the combined efforts of the Russian invasion of Manchuria mm. with the US atomic bombs on uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki mm. and the imminent invasion of the home islands by the United States. That's what those, those three events right there was really what brought the war to an end. The mm. Japanese were like, yep, this is over. We cannot do this. We are done. And so they then... Uh, signed an unconditional surrender. Well, the Chinese Communist Party has ordered all of the churches, particularly the Three Self Church, to pray for uh, peace and to pray for all the people who lost their life at this particular time. And they are required to sit, submit evidence of these activities back to the Chinese Communist Party. They've got to send through text messages, they've got to send through photos, they've got to send through videos, they've got to prove that their congregation actually did this. If they don't do this then do they get, like, shut down? Well, they would definitely lose a lot of social credit. They probably would be shut down, mm. yes. And, of course, these are the government churches in China. Most Christians in China go to underground churches. They don't go to government churches. They go to home churches. They worship in secret and they face tremendous amount of persecution. Mm. The government churches in China, the, the Chinese Communist Party, trains the pastors of these churches mm. and appoints the pastors of these churches and... They're not really that Christian. They're more a patriotic celebration on a weekly basis. Mm. Uh, so, for instance, within these churches, they are required to go on pilgrimages to uh, Chinese communist revolutionary sites. They are required to hold uh, Chinese Communist Party exhibitions in their churches. They are required to host events for various political anniversaries of the Chinese Communist Party. Um, an example of this would be the uh, Chinese Patriotic uh, Catholic Association, which is what the Roman Catholic Church is called in China, the official one. Um, they had a, a special mass the other day, a grateful and praise mass for the Chinese Communist Party and pronouncing blessings on them. And the theme of it was all about love, uh, which is not unusual for a Christian church, right? Yeah. And the sermon was a three-point sermon, which is what you would expect. You know, three three points is a standard kind of sermon mm -hmm. format. Three points were love the party, love the country, love socialism. 
So this is an is example that, of what you get in the in the government churches. Do they land the plane on Jesus somehow? Is well, I think I think he's in there somewhere, but I'm not exactly sure where. And you know, when you see all of this, it's basically just a propaganda machine for the Chinese Communist Party. And I just want to say this: success doesn't need doesn't need propaganda. Mm. If you're successful, you don't need to tell your people that you are successful. That's right. They kind of get that impression. If you have if you have a son or a daughter who is an astronaut, you don't have to tell people that your son or daughter is successful. Mm. People kind of get that. Yeah, you just say, oh, she's an astronaut. That's like, right. Ah, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you have to go around and tell people that, you know, my son and daughter is super successful, then... Uh, people start to get sceptical, right? People start to get sceptical. And, you know, so this basically becomes brainwashing and propaganda. 100%. Only failures need to be told that they're not because everybody else, they, they already know that. Yeah. Um, so the house churches, of course, they are branded as being cults, crimes against the Chinese Communist Party, and uh, that their intent is to undermine the state. Uh, people can be arrested for being part of a home church. There's no education for children. Um, or there's re-education. Children are sent away to uh, re-education camps for uh, at these home churches, and adopted children are often often removed from families of people who go to these underground churches. Mm. And the question that goes through my mind is this: you know, when I look at this, why is Christianity such a threat to socialism? Mm. Because wherever you have a socialistic government, you have this massive persecution of Christianity. Yeah. Universally. Mm. And, you know, just doing a little bit of thinking about that, you know, looking at the two million Uyghurs that they have in concentration camps in China, so it goes more than just Christianity, it's because religion promotes independence of thought. Yeah, that's right. And you can't have equality and independence of thought. Mm. That's an impossibility. So if you're going to enforce equality, you've got to suppress anything that will create independence of thought. Yeah, that's right. And so you have to then control what people think. And to control what people think, you start by controlling what they say. And if you can control what they say, then the idea is over time you will control what they think because they only hear one thing. Hmm. Which is all a little bit scary, particularly when you compare it to, say, for instance, what we've got taking place in Victoria right now, where what you pray is being controlled. Yeah. In other words, what you say, what you speak in church, what you speak in a worship setting is being controlled. The idea behind this is to eventually control what people think by suppressing what people say. Mm. And we should be awake to this here in Australia because, you know, we see it taking place. Of course, the uh, three self uh, movement, in case you're wondering, uh, because self is kind of like, you know, Christians die to self. Why would they call it the three self movement? Is based around uh, the principles of self governance, self support, and self propagation. And basically, this was we're going to cut ourselves off from any kind of Western influence whatsoever at mm. all. Um, but we need to be aware of what is happening in our country. Uh, particularly as we see suppression of speech because that's an attempt on suppression of thought. And that's a dangerous thing. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Whatever. It's all good. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's head over to our interview of the day. And joining us on the phone this morning is David Halpert. David, welcome to the show. Good morning, guys. 
and good morning to your listeners. David, we're always excited to hear what you're going to share with us each week uh, about emotional health and so forth. What are we talking about today? Well, I thought that maybe it's a good idea to combine our last two conversations into just a reflection this morning. Last week we spoke about someone with uh, trauma and the guilt associated with survival guilt. And the previous week we spoke about spirituality. And I thought that I'll bring the two together in a statement that Dr. Ahmad had uh, discovered in his research looking at resilience in people that battle with a major trauma in their life. And uh, Dr. Ahmad found that religious belief among survivors to be the single most powerful force in explaining the tragedy and explaining survival. He continues to speak about the impact that uh, spirituality has and that it actually helps them. Uh, It's the number one issue for resilience building in people that are exposed to major trauma in their life. This is quite remarkable uh, research that... um He's finding right here, and it certainly is a you know a powerful indication of you know or, or a powerful call, I guess, to many people who are struggling with emotional issues in their life that this is an area that they could work on and work on very easily. I mean, we're here in Australia, and and you know going to church is a pretty simple, straightforward thing. Maybe not so much during lockdown, but um, becoming a part of a community and, and and joining a spiritual community is is not that hard. The human nature is that we so often try everything else, and as a last resort, we we try to use spirituality. Uh, but further research shows, well, let me just stir the spot a little bit thicker. It says that promoting protective factors have been shown to be more effective in increasing the resilience than reducing risk factors. So if we work on protective factors, factors it actually works far better than trying to reduce the risk in our life. Now, the question is, what, what do they mean by that? People are more, and I'm, I'm quoting here, people who are more open to change and have, uh, who have a more positive outlook on life tend to display higher levels of resilience. What are they? A commitment to personal or collective goals. And here we can look at uh, our spiritual life often associates with a community of believers. Secondly, an action-orientated approach. It is often uh, people that have a commitment to Christ that cares more about other people. The third one is spiritual resources and a sense of purpose. Then it continues, they find out, they say that finding new meaning and purpose in, in the midst of trauma, confusion and pain. And that's where we ended off last week, where we actually in the midst of major trauma, where we can reframe by actually seeing something positive coming out of it. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And so how then do we go about actually, you know, reframing it? I mean, I guess we've talked about this before, but um, it's something we need to probably mention again. Well, it is very important for us to realize that whenever major trauma hits us, we actually have a choice either to be uh, held back by it or to see opportunities. And those people that really see opportunities to help others through the pain of my past actually recovers much quicker from their pain and from their trauma. 
In other words, uh, people like in, in Scripture that I mentioned last week, like Daniel and like Joseph, uh, all used their past experiences actually to make a difference in the world around them. I remember when uh, my mother passed away when I was uh, 12 years old that, you know, once my dad sort of started to get past the initial grieving, um, I remember him talking about, you know, needing to reach out to other people who were who were suffering with loss to be able to share with them in some way because it gave him a sense of meaning as to, you know, why this tragic event had happened. Exactly, and that is one of the key factors. The moment that I utilize my pain to benefit others, I actually start to look away from myself. And uh, in sharing and helping other people in their recovery, I actually recover so much faster. Um, Lol, there's there's a researcher uh, by the name of Dr. Caroline Leaf, which I would just like to raise here for our listeners. She's written the book. I need to confess she's a fellow countryman of mine, um, she wrote a book with a title, Switch on Your Brain. She went into one of the world's greatest slum areas, Soweto, where uh, children grow up in major trauma and abuse and neglect. And she took some of those kids that were the most severely disadvantaged. In other words, those kids that would never, ever be able to make a success in their life. And she taught them neuroplasticity, and uh, she used spirituality as the tool to teach them neuroplasticity. And those kids that normally would never be able to finish high school because of the, the, the impact of trauma in their life actually made a success, won scholarship to prestigious universities like Yale and, and those Harvard and uh, was educated and came back to make a difference in their community. Yeah, that's really now, remarkable. I mean, that's like top-level universities right there. Now, what happens when trauma and disadvantage and heartache and pain happens in our life is that our brain kicks in into the limbic system where it starts to ruminate over negative thinking. And most of us, that negative thinking is so intrusive that we can't even hear positive uh, speech spoken to us. Caroline Leaf took those kids and taught them how to hear, how to identify that negative internal speech. Then halt it, analyze it, look for the distortions, and then replace it with scripture. In other words, what the word of God says to them about who they are. Mm. When I grow up in a major trauma and abuse in my life, most probably the negative speech would be something like, if I had value, this or that would not have taken place. If I had value, my spouse would have loved me, not abused me. That is the, the rhetoric that we so often hear, the internal self-talk that holds people back in their pain and in their trauma. But Caroline actually helped those kids to listen to another voice, a voice spoken out of the Word of God mm. and what mm. God speaks about them. We hear a lot about victim mentality today and people who have this, uh, this, this concept in their minds that they are a victim. To me, this seems to be the same kind of issue that is holding them back from success. And the more time we 
focus on that victim mentality. The, the more time we nurse that victim mentality, the more we will be held back by it. And, and therefore, last week I mentioned that I lately, uh, while talking about post-traumatic stress disorder, I challenge people that I work with with post-traumatic growth. How can I rise out of this trauma, out of this abuse, out of this pain of my life, and in actual fact become a victor where I'm actually stronger because of that abuse and that trauma that's happened. And that is what I see in the lives of people like Daniel in the book of, of, of the Bible, as well as Joseph, who both been through major trauma in their life but came out the other end, leaders. Yes, indeed. And, yeah, yeah. The uh, and, and talking about you know post traumatic stress and those kinds of things, one of the one of the things that I've noticed is that people who really do gain the victory over it are typically people who, you know, so often you see them reaching out to other people that have either gone through similar circumstances or you know reaching out through you know being a part of a faith community and so forth. Um, this all seems to be going together to, to demonstrate exactly the same thing that, you know, when we realize our, our value in Christ and the calling on, of Christ on our hearts to reach out to others, that's where we're going to find healing. In a faith community, we not only have people, fellow brothers and sisters of faith that are able to support us. Yes, that community around us makes a difference in our life. But if you, you can in actual fact be within that faith community and still be nursing your own emotional pain and have a victim mentality. Or you can in actual fact be activated and look around at people around you in that faith community or beyond that that are in pain and start to reach out. And that is what research tells us, that those people that actually have a commitment to make a difference in other people's lives has a more rapid and decisive change in their life in terms of recovery. How would a person who is, you know, maybe a tense church or whatever it might be, how would a person identify that they have a, a victim mentality as opposed to finding victory in Jesus Christ and understanding their true worth in Jesus Christ? How would they identify that about themselves, you know, if they're already part of a church community? Well, that is a very uh, difficult question to answer because uh, we are, if we are nursing that pain in our life, we are so blind often to the opposite. We actually uh, should look for the, the shame factors in our life, and here I'm using the word shame in a psychological sense, where we constantly um, look at others and we feel that, you know, they might be thinking bad about us, negative about us, talking behind our back. In most cases, people are so focused on their own pain that they do not have the time to actually gossip about others. But in a a nursing of our pain mentality, what we do is we think everything negative around us. So ask yourself this question, how negative or how positive am I? Do I see the glass half empty or half full? Um, am I excited to get up in the morning to make a difference in other people's lives? Or am I constantly waiting for others to reach out to me? Or do I take the time to pick up that phone to, to ring the person in a faith context where I have passed it in the past. So often people come to me and say, Pastor, you know what? Um, 
this church of yours is is very clicky, uh, and can't you work with them? I, I I'm trying to break in, and I just can't make a difference. In that scenario, I say to that individual, so you know what it feels like when a church is clicky. Help me to bring about a revolution in this church. And they look at me, you know, with big eyes. I said, no, I'm serious. You know how it feels, so why not use that feeling and therefore look around for people that are lonely and then you reach out to them. Once lockdown is over, why don't you invite them for lunch? Why don't you pick up the phone and start to ring those individuals? The moment someone will do that, they will see the change. But someone that nurses a victim mentality will listen to that advice and actually turn around and walk back and withdraw further. That is a clear sign mm. that they are nursing that, that pain in their life. Mm. Mm. And how do they break free? If you recognize that you are nursing a victim mentality, how, the, how do you then break free? My recommendation is people start to read the Word of God and allow God to speak into their life. I grew up with uh, shame in my life, felt that I was, uh, uh, you know, flawed, damaged. And uh, I started to read the Gospels and would spend an hour a day just on one story in the Gospels and allow God to speak into my life. I would become that person that Jesus actually came to touch. And I would ask God questions. I would pull up a chair for God in my office and I will ask him questions. I will converse with him around that story and hear how he speaks to me. And I, I, I read the story in Mark chapter 10, the final story of Jesus, a healing blind Bartimaeus, a man who lives with shame. And at the feeble cry of that man, the creator of the universe comes to a standstill. That was for me a, a, a dramatic change in my life, the realization that in God's eyes I am so important that he's willing to stand still and spend time alone with me. Mm, David, David Halp, thank you so much for joining us and sharing with us here on Faith FM this morning. We always value advice so much. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.